Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 8. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as your father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with all purity. Support widows who are genuinely in need, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents. For this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also, so that when... Command this also, so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, everybody. It is so good to be with you, although I greatly miss seeing your faces and being with you in person. I'm glad you're joining us. Maybe you're sitting on a comfy couch, uh, sitting with your comfy PJs. However you're joining us, welcome. I'm glad you are with us. My name's Eric, and I'm one of the pastors at Trinity OC. We are back in a series that we put on hold uh, before Lent and Easter called The Signs of Life. We're looking at the letter of 1 Timothy for the metrics of spiritual health. Now, just as we are all paying very close attention to the metrics of health in our world, we're looking at the signs of new cases of coronavirus maybe every day, of how many tragic deaths there have been, and whether the curve is uh, flattening or whether it's decreasing. We're very focused, uh, rightly so, on the signs of physical health and the physical signs of life in these times. First Timothy, the letter of First Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to tell Timothy, to show and guide Timothy, his friend, his protege, on how to guide a church that had become very unhealthy back to life and back to health. So much has changed in our world and in our lives. But something that hasn't changed are the signs of spiritual life the metrics of health. They hold true no matter what the circumstances. So we're going to go to a slide here just to review some of the signs of life that we've looked at over the past number of months. We've seen love as the most important metric. Uh, that one hasn't changed and will never change. The sign of grace renewal, of prayer, of cultural discernment, church as family, a missional heart, a heart that looks outward to others, the sign of uh, living in training, training uh, for spiritual health. And last week we talked about what it means to pay attention to ourselves, rightly so, our own soul health, as well as to God in his word. This morning the sign we'll look at, we'll go to the next slide, that is at the heart of this passage and many, many others in the Bible, is caring for those in need. We'll go to the next slide. Caring for those in need has always been and is right now in our current moment, but will become even more so in the days ahead. 
one of the most important and crucial signs of life for every follower of Jesus and every faithful church. So if you're listening this morning, you're not a Christian, but you're exploring Jesus, and in this time you have some questions, you're intrigued as to what Jesus might say and offer during this time, I'm glad you're listening today. Because this metric is at the heart of what Christianity would say is a successful response, a healthy response, a sign of spiritual life as we all walk through this crisis that we're facing. I think we can all see by this point that people's needs are great now, right now in this present moment. Many of you out there would say, my needs are great right now. But I think we all have come to a place where we're able to see that although our needs are great now, there is a tidal wave of needs following the wake of this quarantine. And I don't say that to alarm us, but to prepare us. Today, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask all of us to do something that's probably hard for us in this time with all that we're going through, everything that's happening in our day-to-day lives. I'm going to ask you to think outside of yourself. That's something I've been trying to do these past six or seven weeks. I've been trying to uh, imagine the future five years, ten years from now. And I've been asking myself questions like, what will my wife, Amelia, say about this time? 10 years from now? What will she say about our relationship? What will our kids say as they look back at this time of quarantine and of this pandemic? What will they say about what it was like to live in our home? I have a slide. I'd like you to meditate on this question as we look at this text. What will those who come to a place of great need because of COVID-19 and because of all the economic fallout and many other uh, causes. What will those who come to a place of great need say about how Christians and the church cared for them in this time? Now, as we look at this text, for each one of my points, I'm going to use the same approach. We will look at the passage, a portion of the text, what Paul says about caring for widows, and then we'll look at its application, its broader application, what it calls us to when it comes to caring for those in need in need like these widows were in, in the first century. And especially in light of the many needs that will arise because of all that we're facing. This text shows us three things that need to happen to us personally and corporately as a church in order to be people who truly care for those who are in need. We're going to look at each one of these outline points as a fill-in-the-blank outline in your bulletin and kids You have your kid's bulletin. You also have your fill-in-the-blank outline. I want you to fill in those blanks, but as we've been doing these past six or seven weeks, I also want you to create a picture outline. Start like this, kids. Here's the picture I want you to draw. I want you to draw two people. One is going to represent you, so that's you. You can draw yourself. And I want you to draw another person side by side. Give a little space in between these two people. And underneath this other person, I want you to write the word need. N-E-E-D. Two people, one person underneath, write the word need. The first step towards becoming people who truly care for those in need is identifying those in need. Now that might seem like that's obvious. Um, That sounds like it goes without saying, but it isn't. Because one of the hardest, most persistent barriers 
that stands between those who have something to give and those who have need is the reality that those who have often don't see, often overlook, and often don't notice the people who are in need. Here Paul identifies for Timothy widows in the church as a group in need of special attention and care. Now I think this section, it might be the longest section, it's definitely in the New Testament, maybe in the entire Bible, that provides detailed instructions about how to care for a specific group of people with great need, widows in this case. Now what Paul is doing, he's actually carrying out a tradition, a ministry that started at the very beginning of the Christian church and actually stretches even further back than that. But in Acts 6, it tells us about the very first controversy in the Christian church. It was all about the church failing to identify a group of widows who were in need. So in Acts 6, verse 1, we read that a group of widows was being overlooked. They weren't being seen in the distribution of food that happened every day. And what happened was there were two groups of widows. One spoke Hebrew and the other spoke Greek and were culturally Greek. The Hebrew widows were being cared for. But those who spoke Greek, who were different culturally, they were being overlooked. Now, this was not a minor issue. All 12 apostles, the leaders of the early church, they got involved. They stopped everything. They gathered the entire church and said, we're not doing anything. We're not moving on until we figure out how to care for a group of people that we didn't even identify as those who had need. Identifying widows who are in need is a theme that's actually found throughout the entire Bible, beginning with Hagar, who was a kind of widow, and Tamar in the book of Genesis, with the law in Exodus and Deuteronomy, with the book of Ruth, and throughout all the prophets, widows are identified by God as those in need of special attention and care. Why? Why so many times are widows singled out? Why? Because they were so often overlooked. They were not identified, not seen by people. The need of widows was great in the ancient world. They were vulnerable. Widows, with no husband, with no family to care for them, had no protection, no means to provide for themselves, and often were taken advantage of for what resources and money that they did have. They were extremely vulnerable. Not only were they vulnerable, they were also voiceless. In fact, the Hebrew word for widow it comes from the Hebrew word, which means unable to speak. And that describes their situation. They were unable to speak for themselves. They had no voice. God, throughout the Bible, identifies widows and their needs because people forget the vulnerable. People forget the voiceless. But God does not. He sees them. He identifies with them, and he tells his people to do the same. That's the background behind what Paul is saying to Timothy in these detailed instructions. And that's the whole point of this section here. Paul is telling Timothy to identify those widows who are truly in need. That's the phrase used in the text. Look at verse 3. To support those widows who are genuinely in need. 
in verse 5 again, those who are truly in need. Later on, further down in the passage, that's not printed out in your bulletin, in verse 6, he uses the same phrase, widows who are truly in need. The point is that some women who had lost their husbands were not in a position of need. They were taken care of by their families, but others were vulnerable. Others were voiceless. And Paul is telling Timothy, you must see them and you must care for them. What might be the application to us? Here it's, it's fairly clear. We are called to identify those in need in order that we might care for them. We don't wait for people who are in need to come to us. We go to them. We find them. We look for them. We identify them. We are called to do this by God. In our current crisis, it means we ask questions like this. Who is and who will be the most vulnerable? Who is and will be the most voiceless? Who in our church family? Who in our communities? Who amongst our neighbors? These are the questions we are called to ask and answer. We are called to identify those in need. This, throughout Scripture and in this text, is clear. It's as clear as anything could be in the Bible. It is not optional. We must learn to see the people that no one else sees. That's the first point, identifying those in need. Second point, kids, get ready to add to your picture. We're going to keep adding to it. Not only do we need to identify those in need, we're called to value, valuing those in need. So between those two people that you drew, kids, would you uh, draw an equal sign? It's pretty simple, just two lines, an equal sign between you and the person in need. In the ancient world, not only were widows vulnerable in every way and also voiceless, they were also not valued as people. They were treated as nobodies. But Paul says that this should never be in the church, the family of God. Would you look at verse 1 again in chapter 5? Paul says, older women, all older women should be treated, how? As your own mom, Timothy, as mothers. You know, for women at this time, their value and status was tied to the value and status of their husband. So when their husbands died, their worth and their value died also. But the Bible teaches throughout that widows are valuable in themselves. That women have value independent of their relationship to a man, which was a radical idea at the time. In fact, we don't have time to unpack this fully, but this text, and especially the next section, verses 9 through 16, it talks about enrolling widows on a list. If you look, if you have your Bible, you'll see uh, this phrase used throughout that section. It talks about enlisting or enrolling widows. The word enlisting is the same word used for enlisting in military service. This was taken from the earliest days of, this, of the church, this phrase, enrolling widows on a list, as speaking about an official position of ministry in the church. Early letters from the early days of the church described elders, bishops, deacons, and an order of widows as official ministry positions in the church. One of the early uh, Christian writers, Polycarp, described widows as God's altar. A powerful phrase. He probably was speaking to the fact that God was pleased 
when widows are ministered to, and when they are also providing ministry to others. Such is how God values those who were seen to have no value at the time. He enlists them into ministry. It's pretty amazing. It's important for us that we don't skip from identifying those in need to meeting those needs. There's a step in between, and that's the step we're talking about right now. We can often provide and care for others from a sense of superiority, from a kind of God complex. Oh, you so need me, and you so need my help. Isn't it great treating people as a charity case? That's not the kind of care the Bible calls us to. Mother Teresa was known to say, we need the poor more than the poor need us. We're called to place that kind of value on those who have any kind of need. Now, the way the Bible speaks of God's value for widows shows us just how important this is. In Psalm 68, 5, it says, God is the champion of the widow, the champion. In the law, God commands that widows not only be provided for, but that they be included, that they be a part of all the celebrations and the great feasts of the people of God. God champions those who are not valued in the world, who are forgotten, cast off, and not seen as contributing anything. Did you know that Jesus loved to make widows the the heroes or the heroines of his stories? It was a widow who was uh, the hero and the champion of prayer in Luke chapter 18. It's a widow who Jesus points out who is the champion of giving, the model of what it means to give in Mark 12 and other places. And on the cross, Jesus championed his own mother as he was dying, as he was in agony himself. He turned to his mother and the apostle John and he said, take care of my mom. Look at verse three, again with me in chapter five. It says support those who are truly widows. Literally, the word there is the word honor or respect. It's the same word uh, from the, the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. It means to highly value and respect. It means this, friends, as we put all this together. If we are to care for those in need, the way that this text and the rest of the Bible calls us to, we cannot jump from just seeing the need to meeting the need. We must value the person who is in need. As a family member, as a friend, as an equal, as someone we need as much as they need us. Think of a few applications to this. There are many uh, applications of the value we are to give for those in any kind of need, but I'd like to focus on one. Christian friends, I'd like you to think about this. No matter what happens here in this crisis, no matter what happens in the future, we must hold firmly to valuing every human life. Because we believe God is a God of creation and a God of resurrection and new creation, we value everyone spiritually and physically, soul and body as whole people. I have a quote I'd like to share with you that I found uh, in my study this week. It's a bit academic, but it's powerful. And so I want to move to the quote here. It's from uh, an author named M. Kathleen Cavani. She wrote a paper called The Order of Widows. Here's what she said. She said, A firm hope in the bodily resurrection of the dead, 
which we just celebrated with Easter, which Christians proclaim in the Nicene Creed, has radical implications for Christian anthropology and ethics. In particular, it reveals that an individual's proximity to death can never have the power to erode the goodness of her embodied existence per se. And I underline this part. The power of the resurrection transforms our distorted, utilitarian understanding of the value of human embodiment. Secure in its promise, we can see that the embodied life of an elderly or gravely ill human being cannot be any less than the good in itself, just because it approaches the end of its appointed span of years. Just let that sink in. The power of the resurrection transforms what is often our distorted or utilitarian view of the value of human embodiment. Friends, let me just say a few words about this. As we get weary, um, as this stretches on for we don't know how long, and we just get tired of wearing masks, of taking all these precautions, of trying to be safe, of sheltering in place, let us remember that we are called to value those who are most at risk because of the threat of this disease. And so the call to caution May we persevere in that, remembering why we are doing it, to value those who need to be cared for and for us to be cautious. Also, expanding this application of those, those of us and those around us who will come to a place of need because of this virus, there will be economic struggle and need, but attached to that, alongside that, will be a struggle with worth and value. So those who have needs might be too ashamed to share those needs. They might be feeling with loss of job or financial struggles, a shame and a worthlessness that comes along with that. Friends, we must be the champions of the value of all. Let's remember that now and in the days to come. Thirdly, kids, I want you to add uh, again to your Outline. You have yourself, you have somebody in need, you have an equal sign because there is equal value between us and those in need. I want you now to draw an arrow from you to that other person. That symbolizes my third point. We identify those in need. That's how we care for them. We value those in need. And thirdly, we provide for those in need. It's important that we don't downplay the emotional and the spiritual, the relational needs of vulnerable people and vulnerable groups who are in need especially during this time. But the main focus here in this text is on providing for physical and financial needs. To care physically, financially for those in needs, look, look again at the text. It's described as a holy and sacred duty, a matter of discipleship and worship. Look at verse 4 again. It says, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first, and to repay their parents for this pleases God. The word there, uh, learn, is actually uh, closely related to the word where we get uh, the term discipleship. This is a matter of discipleship. It's a matter of godliness in worship. It pleases God when we care physically and provide for the needs, the physical needs, of those who are vulnerable and who need our care. The Christian faith does not, does never, draw a line between the spiritual and the physical care 
of people. Love is always care for the whole person. Look again at verse 5. Look at how Paul describes providing for widows who are truly in need. He says if they're, they're left all alone, he's describing their experience, and they have put their hope in God, the widow who's truly in need, and continues day and night in her petitions and prayers. Here's the question for us. How does God address this loneliness? How does God answer these petitions and prayers? Paul's answer to Timothy and Paul's answer to us is God does it through his people. He does it through us. My Christian friends, we are called to care for those in need by providing our presence and also for providing for their needs. The book of James, the letter of James, in chapter 1, verse 27, says something very similar. He says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's summarize. This text is saying, It is our holy and sacred duty. It is pleasing to God to identify, to value, and to provide for those in need and distress, especially those who are most vulnerable and most voiceless, like the widow and the orphan. How can we do this? Friends, how can we do this when during this time we feel like we have so many needs? We have our own stress. We have our own worries and anxieties. We have great challenges we're all facing, and it can often feel like our own situation is just too overwhelming. When our future is uncertain, our jobs may be uncertain, our income is uncertain. How can we sacrifice? How can we put ourselves out there to risk to care for those in need? And the answer that the Bible gives us is when we see those in need, we see ourselves. This takes us to the heart of the gospel. We don't look down on them, and we don't overlook them. Instead, when we look at those in need, we see ourselves. The gospel is this, friends, that God has identified our great need. Our great need to be reconciled to him. He has so valued us, for God so loved the world that he sent, that he provided exactly what we needed to reconcile, restore us to him through Christ. You know, it's interesting here, but the word for widow here in the Greek, it comes from the Greek word chasma, where we get the word chasm. It's a, it's a word picture that represents what a widow uh, needs, her situation, and the provision for her need. It's like a great chasm in their experience. Here I am, vulnerable and voiceless, and here is what I need. And it seems like there's a great chasm between me and what I need. In the same way, friends, we ourselves, between us and God, there was a great chasm. The gospel is the good news. It is the great story of how God bridged that chasm. He bridged that chasm by seeing this chasm, by valuing us so much that he would bring us to the other side 
by he himself entering into our brokenness, our need, our poverty. As 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, Jesus is the one who became poor in order that we might become rich in him. So when I see someone in need, I see myself and I remember the chasm, how I am so poor and needy yet so valued despite my poverty and my spiritual need, so much so that Jesus would give everything for me. Much is being written now about the Christian response uh, to plagues over the centuries. A lot of great history is being recovered. What we're finding is that uh, Christianity actually did not only survive through plagues, Christianity actually thrived and became more stronger through plagues. How and why? It was because of their care for each other. Often in these plagues, families would desert one another and flee to get out of cities that were rife with the plague. But Christians stayed. They cared for each other. They cared for others, even those who were persecuting them before the plague. I found a statement that captured it so well uh, this week. Uh, Carl F. Henry, a, a great scholar, said it like this. He said the early Christians did not say, look at what the world is coming to. Look at what the world is coming to in fear or in judgment or in selfish retreat. Instead, they said, look what has come into the world. Look. Look at Jesus. His grace, his generosity, and selfless sacrifice. Friends, let's look at what has come into the world. A God who met our deepest need, who bridged the chasm, and promises to supply all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I have three uh, practical uh, applications about how we can start. Uh, if, you, if your heart is moved, if you say, yes, I see it, identify, value, provide, where do I start first? The answer may surprise you uh, in how obvious it is, but it's here in the text. Start with your own family. Verse 2, if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family and to repay their parents. This pleases God. Verse 8 is stronger. If anyone does not provide for his own family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is very strong. Now, what I want to do now is I just want to commend and encourage those of you who are caring for your parents and your grandparents during this time. I know a lot of you are worried about them. I want to say this. This is godly. It pleases God. As you press on in caring for your parents, and your grandparents. You are caring for those in need in a way that gives God great joy and pleasure. I believe this extends also to how we care for our spouses during this time, our kids, all those in our families. We start with caring for those closest to us. Secondly, through our church, we are preparing to do what we can to help. You may have seen some of the information we've been putting out there on Trinity Cares, if you have needs, or if you know of those who have needs, please let us know. We cannot help unless you let us know. If you want to help, you can email our response team, response team at trinitypresoc.org. And lastly, I will close with this. One way you can start is by asking God to help you see, to 
to identify the needs that are around you, to give you his heart to value those who are in need and who may cross your path who are in need, and then to give you the wisdom and the fearlessness to meet those needs when they come. Martin Luther is one of the voices from church history. You may have already seen this quote, but it applies so well to what we've been talking about this morning that I want to end by reading this quote from Martin Luther. And he was writing about how we should respond in times of plague. He said this, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. He says, if my neighbor needs me. Friends, our neighbors, our friends do and will need us. May we be ready by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to care for them and all who are in need. Amen. Let's pray. Our God of compassion, our God who cares about all of us in all of our need, the God who sees our vulnerability, the God who sees the voiceless, we call to you, we cry out to you. In your mercy, in a world that has great need, a world that is crying out to you, we continue to pray for your power to bring an end to all that we are suffering with this disease. We know there is a lot of need already around us. And many of us are experiencing great need. And I pray that you would work in us by your grace an ability to look outside of ourselves and by your strength to meet the needs of those who come into our lives that we are able to meet. Help us care well for our parents, grandparents, family members. Help us persevere in valuing them and loving them well. And help us also as people and as a church to be ready, to be prepared, to be full of faith and trust in order to be a community that loves and cares well. Show us the people that we often overlook and give us your heart for them. May you do it all in a way as you press us further into the reality of how you have met our greatest and deepest need in Christ our Savior. And we pray in his name. Amen. At this time in our service, normally, if we were all together, if we were in person in our normal worship space, we would move uh, to the Lord's table together. And during this time, as we've shared over the past few weeks, as a leadership, uh, we've come to the conclusion at this time that we are unable to participate virtually 
in this important sacrament, in this means of grace during this time. So instead of gathering, instead of attempting to do this virtually, instead what we'll do is take time now in our service. So please take out your bulletin. I'd like to lead us in a prayer for the non-observance of communion. There's something I'd like uh, to read, as well as a prayer that I'd like for you to join with me. Join your hearts and your voices in this prayer. It is customarily at this time of our service that we receive the Lord's Supper, remembering and together proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. In our present crisis, we are, however, prevented from the table. Instead of approximating the Lord's Supper with any virtual substitute, we have prayerfully decided to heed the instruction from Scripture that we will all wait for one another in order that we might partake of it together. And while we are painfully reminded of our absence from this sacramental blessing, we desire to commemorate the essential place of the Eucharist in our Sunday service and now to mourn its present removal from our lives. Would you join your hearts together with me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, you have promised that you are with us always. I thank you, Father, that by your Spirit, Jesus Christ the Son dwells in our hearts by faith. We grieve, however, that this present trouble has kept us from his presence in a special and sacred way, a presence by means of the Holy Sacrament that the Lord Jesus himself instituted for us and for our faith. How long, O Lord? We remember that the Lord has said he will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until the day when he drinks it new, together with us in his Father's kingdom. In our own way, we too find that we must presently abstain for the sake of our brothers and sisters, as we await the time our family here can once more keep the feast. How long, O Lord? Until that time comes, preserve, O Lord, our faith, which is prone to grow feeble and faint under such adversity. May your grace be sufficient for us, and may it bridge not only the distance we currently face from your presence in communion, but also the painful distance we feel as we are parted from fellowship with our beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. Have mercy on us and help us, O Lord, for we ask this in the name and pray this for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>